Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 265 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Before we get into today's topic, which is three keys to masterful tennis movements, just want to say thank you. If you're listening to my voice right now, just know I appreciate you. I appreciate your support. Last week was my first uploaded episode in quite a while due to illness and and being out of town. And it's always, it's really encouraging for me to, uh, to come back from a long break away from the mic like that and to see see all the downloads still there. Everybody is still there waiting for the next one. Uh, so thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for your patience. And just please know that I, I appreciate you and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this show very much. So today's question comes to us from Craig in Frankfurt, Illinois. He wrote and said, my question is about footwork. I think for a middle-aged guy, I'm reasonably fast and willing to dig for balls, but I've noticed recently my footwork has become terrible. I'm not saying I was Rafa-like before, but it seems recently I've been constantly out of position to hit the next shot. It's like I'm waiting to see the results of my shot, and I get flat-footed when it comes back. Any tips? Love the podcast. All right, so, Craig, yes, based on your description it sounds like you have a problem of being reactive instead of proactive. As long as you're waiting and watching, as long as you are a spectator after each shot, watching to guess and see what's going to happen next, then you'll constantly be playing on your opponent's terms. As long as you wait to see what he or her, he or her, he or she, as long as you're waiting to see what he or she uh, is going to do next, then by definition, you're playing reactionary tennis. And that's not good enough against high-level players. And so I've got three really very kind of meaty things that you can start to work on immediately, the very next time that you play. And the third one I'm actually saving for last, even though it's, it's the most, could easily argue, it's the most important I think it's definitely the most foundational kind of underlying habit that everything else kind of builds on top of. I'm saving that one for last. And so the first one we're going to dig into is what I like to call the four P's of shot anticipation. And here's the thing. A lot of players are surprised to hear that anticipation isn't something that you're born with or you're not. It's not some sixth sense that only elite athletes have and they were born with. And it's something that the rest of us amateur athletes couldn't possibly have. You can develop it. It's a learned skill. And the, the, the problem is adult amateur players who didn't grow up playing a sport didn't necessarily develop this unconsciously. I think as kids, I think children, uh, when learning a, a sport, especially a, a ball uh, hand sport, where we're trying to, we need to track a ball, we need to um, intercept a ball. Um, I, I think a lot of this is learned kind of between the lines uh, as kids. But if, if we didn't 
develop high-level execution as children, we're picking up a sport as adults, then this sort of thing needs to be pointed out. It needs to be consciously focused on. And then it can be developed as as an unconscious unconscious habit by focusing on it um, very, very narrowly and developing it as a skill. Now, I've done that with players before. I know that you can learn it. So please be encouraged by that. So each and every time, Craig, that you hit a tennis shot, your focus should go away from the ball to your opponent or opponents, and you need to immediately start gathering information. And there's four Ps that you should be looking for. P number one is position. The shot that you just hit, is it drawing them away from their home base? Are they having to move right or left? Are they having to move forwards or backwards? Has their position been changed significantly? And if so, then you should be looking for a more defensive shot. If not, then you should be looking for a more offensive shot, all other things being equal. So position is key. How did your shot just change their position and by how much or by how little? P number two is preparation. And what preparation refers to is specifically what are they doing with their racket? Are they taking the racket back with a closed racket face or an open racket face? Are they rotating their body fully to prepare for a powerful shot? Or have they not really turned much at all and they're still facing forwards and they're in a really weak position? You need to look at how they're preparing their body and how they're preparing their racket. And that will give you a lot of information that you can go on to anticipate what shot is coming next. P number three is poise. And this basically means balance. And you might think, well, Ian, uh, we already talked about balance. That's position. Well, they're actually different and, and very independent, meaning a player could be right in the middle of where they wanted to be. They could be, let's say, for a singles player, uh, the middle of a, middle of a rally. Um, they're in the middle of the baseline. And a ball could be hit right at that player so that their position doesn't really change at all, but their balance is significantly impacted. Maybe the ball lands right next to their feet. And and so they're having to kind of lean and squirm, you know, out of the way. And conversely, position could change drastically, but a player's balance could still be intact. You know, a, a great athlete can run way off the court and still maintain his or her balance really, really nicely, still maintain posture and good bodily control. So position and balance or poise are, are frequently are connected. When somebody gets put way out of position, frequently they are, they are off balance, but they are. it's important to understand that they are independent variables and you need to be focused on, at first, studying both of them consciously, eventually we want these to be unconscious things that your, your brain just processes in the background. But if you're, not, if you're not already seeing these things, then you need to start someplace. And so P number three is poise or balance. Uh, what, basically, what, what is their, what is their uh, posture like? Is their spine tilted way back, way forward, way to the right, or way to the left? And I'll give you a lot of information about what shot is coming next. And the final P is patterns. Some players break all the, all the rules. <laughs> they can be out of position, uh, take back the racket really weakly, have really poor poise, very poor balance, and still go for an offensive shot. And so uh, based on the patterns of each individual player, they might totally break what 
quote, should happen based on the other three Ps. And so you need to know at the end of the day, you need to know each individual opponent and pay close attention to their patterns because you never know uh, from player to player to player what rules they may, ab- they may try to abide by, be reasonable and do what they're, quote, supposed to do, or do something completely different than what they're, quote, supposed to do. So patterns are critical. Okay, so those are the four Ps of shot anticipation. Again, this is, this is something you can learn. This is something you can train yourself. It's not innate. Uh, the four Ps are position, preparation, poise, and patterns. If you're not already gathering this data and using it to be able to anticipate where the ball is going next, then it's something that you you need to develop. Uh, Otherwise, you'll be playing behind. You'll be constantly waiting to see what happens and then reacting instead of starting to be proactive and be able to make a move before the ball is actually hit based on data that you've gathered. Hopefully that makes sense. So uh, that's key number one to masterful tennis movement and, and Craig breaking you out of that reactive rut and making you proactive. Key number two to, ba- to masterful, masterful tennis movement is realizing that there's always some place to move after every shot that you've hit. Almost always. I really I need to put a little asterisk there. Uh, there's only one scenario in which your position shouldn't be changed as soon as you're done hitting your shot. And as you watch your, your shot majestically travel towards its intended target, rather than watching the ball, you should immediately be back in the mindset of improving your position. The only time where there's no place to move is when the ball hasn't drastically changed in direction or location on the courts. Let me give you an example. If you're playing singles and you're engaged in a baseline rally and the ball travels straight down the middle of the court, middle to middle, uh, from one middle of the baseline to the other middle of the baseline, after you've hit that shot that's gone right down the center of the court, you can stay right in the middle of the court. But as soon as the ball deviates to the right or to the left, then you should be adjusting your position immediately. Because as the ball moves away from the middle of the court, it changes the possible shots that your opponent can hit next. Every time the ball changes direction, it changes the geometry from which your opponent is hitting his or her next shot. And so if you can just kind of picture a ball going all the way into the left corner, playing a singles point, and so your, your opponent is having to run all the way to their, uh, to, I'm sorry, to your left, uh, to their right, way off the court. The possible shots that they have from that position all the way over to the left are completely different than if the ball was just hit right back down the middle. And so in singles, when the ball goes all the way to the left of the court, you should actually be to the right of the center line because more angles have opened up and down the line has just become more difficult, geometrically speaking. If the ball goes all the way to the right, then you should stagger yourself to the left of the center of the baseline. And so as the ball travels back and forth from right to left, after you've hit your shot, there's work that needs to be done immediately. 
almost never, almost never is there zero change in geometrical position of the ball. Almost never. And so there should always be something that you should be doing, Craig, after each and every ball. It's not good enough to stand there and watch. It's not even good enough to watch and gather anticipation data, the four Ps. As you gather that data, you should also be improving proactively your position on the court so that when the next shot is hit, you're already in the middle of the possible shots from your opponent on the next ball. Let me repeat that. You should be moving ahead of time so that you're already in the middle of the possible shots from your opponent before they hit their next shot. That means every time the ball leaves your racket, you have someplace else you need to go. It's the same thing in doubles as well. Uh, it's called shading. I'm actually not going to dive into that. It's really a, a whole topic in and of itself. But the, the same principle applies in doubles. It's a little bit more dynamic because frequently we have an offense player and a defense player. And so not only is the ball traveling right and left, but also it's changing phase uh, up and back or forward, forwards and backwards from a, a forward position to a backward position and back and forth. And so the net players, especially in doubles, should be constantly moving as, as, not as, but before each ball is hit so that they can be in an optimum position before the next shot is hit. So if at any point in time, Craig, and all the rest of you listening, if at any point in time you catch yourself having waited for the next shot before you move anywhere, then you've wasted an opportunity to be in a better position. 99% of the time, there's someplace else that you should have been before the next shot was hit. And so it's a matter of being aware of those patterns, being aware of where you should be positioning yourself and doing so immediately after making contact and not waiting for the next shot. All right, so that's um, key number two to masterful tennis movement is moving ahead of time. There's always someplace to move after each and every shot that you hit. And uh, last uh, phrase that I, I wrote down here that I almost missed o- uh, that I almost uh, passed over, the middle is usually not the middle. So re- just keep in mind my description of the ball going all the way to the left, and so you need to shift to the right. Or if it goes all the way to the right, then you need to shift to the left in singles. The only time the middle is, quote, the middle is when the ball is right in the middle. <laughs> As soon as the ball travels away from the middle, you should be traveling away from the middle as well. And so that means you've always got some place to move as the ball moves around the court. As the ball moves around the court, you should be moving around the court as well to anticipate. Okay, and now I've saved the best for last. And the reason why I, I mentioned at the, the get-go that this is the most important, and the reason why I've saved it for last is because it's the most repeated. I would be willing to bet that, unless you've been following our content for quite a while, the four Ps concept is probably new to you. The, the idea of learning anticipation is probably new to the majority of you. And so that's kind of novel. And it's like, oh, okay, I, I can see how, how I can do that. And uh, kind of something new to work on. Uh, the idea of moving proactively, and there's always some place to move. And the middle is usually not the middle. Again, I bet probably for a good chunk of you listening, something kind of a little novel, a little bit new, something new that you can work on. 
This third key is something that you've heard over and over and over and over again. And so I didn't want to lead with it because to, for most of you, it's like white noise in the background, especially if you've been taking lessons for quite a while. It's something you've heard repeated again and again and again. And yet, I can tell you, and I know just based on tens of thousands of hours of experience with amateur tennis players, a large majority of you listening to my voice don't do it. <laughs> and some of you maybe are probably guessing by now. Key number three is the split step. I need to give uh, credit to um, Christoph uh, DeVault, who I originally heard this quote from uh, a long time ago in one of his uh, videos. He said, the split step is like Bigfoot. It's frequently talked about, but very, rel oh, geez, but very seldom seen. Split step is like Bigfoot. Frequently talked about, but very seldom seen. And it's just the honest truth. And I'm not going to go into like the, the uh, mechanics of how to split step. I'm not even going to go into the timing of it because you've probably heard it before. Uh, if you want to see a visual demonstration, then I recommend going to YouTube and do a search for Essential Tennis Split Step. And the first video is an old video of mine, uh, video one of three in a series dedicated to the split step. And I analyze professional player footage to talk about it. And over the course of three videos, talk about timing, uh, the mechanics of how to do it, and a little bit more kind of inside baseball uh, detail as well, some more nuance uh, to it. That is too advanced for, for most players, but, but kind of cool information in, in video three. So here's the thing. This is just the simple like, concept and question I'm going to leave you with on the split step. Low-level players never split step. And I mean, just, just watch for it. Don't watch the ball travel back and forth. The next time you go to your local courts, next time you go to your club, next time you go to your school or whatever you play, just look down one side of the bank of courts that you're going to play on. Just watch all four or eight or however many players. Just look, look down one baseline and just look at one player at a time. Don't watch the ball after they hit it. Don't watch their shot. Watch their feet as the ball travels back and forth and see if they split step as their opponent hits their next shot. And you're going to find that it's hard to find a player that actually does split step. And yet, as I mentioned at, at the outset of this episode, to me, there's nothing more fundamental or foundational when it comes to movement, when it comes to anticipating, when it comes to being proactive on the courts. The split step is the antithesis of being flat-footed. Craig said in his question, it's like I'm waiting to see the result of my shot and I get flat-footed when it comes back. The split step is the kryptonite <laughs> to being flat-footed. It is the kryptonite to waiting to see the result. The split step is the physical manifestation of being proactive. And so if you're feeling those things, Craig, I be willing to wager a significant amount of money that you're not currently split-stepping. And I'm not sure what your level is, but the thing is, low, as I just mentioned, low-level players never do it. 
And you could say, oh, well, it's because they don't know yet, and that's fine, but there's a sliding scale. High-level players, players beyond a certain level, I would say 5-0 and above for sure, probably most 4-5 or five players as well. But 5-0 and above, I'm comfortable saying always split-step. Beginner players, never split-step. And then there's a slow-sliding, gradual uh, increase um, of players who do and don't. And there's a really a, a very sharp drop-off, I would say below 4-5, uh, 4-0 and above. I'm sorry, 4-0 and below. Very, very rare. 4-5 and above, very, very frequent. And 5-0 and above, you don't see anybody who doesn't do it. So my question for you is simply, do you want to be a high-level player? Do you? If you do, then you need to start developing high-level habits. High-level players are not born. Nobody's born with the habit of split-stepping. It's developed. It's learned. It's trained. And so my question for you is simply, how much do you actually want to improve? If you want to be like the 99% of tennis players who know that they're supposed to split step, but don't because they haven't trained it, then, then by all means. And you'll constantly be, be playing more reactively than you could have been had you developed split step as a habit. And let me just say, I mean, it's work. It's extra effort. No question about it. But do you want to be proactive? Do you want to activate your body before the ball is hit? Or do you want to wait and watch and then react? That's the question that you need to answer. And after a while, you get used to that little bit of extra effort. And after a while, it starts to happen without you even thinking about it. And and you you don't even have to remind yourself. It just happens. But that needs to be trained. And that takes dedication, focused repetition, and and hard work. And so... I'll leave that part up to you. So I I hope this episode has been helpful to you. Again, the three keys to masterful tennis movement. Key number one, the four P's of shot anticipation. So you can tell the future and know where the ball is going to go before it even gets hit. Key number two is remembering and training yourself to always move someplace after you've hit a shot. There's always someplace to move. Remember, the middle is usually not the middle. And key number three is the split step. Low-level players don't do it. High-level players do it. Which do you want to be? And are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to train yourself to make it a habit? That's uh, the question I'll leave you with. So thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and tell somebody about it. Tell a teammate's doubles partner a coach, somebody at your, your local courts. Loved, I'd love for the word to get out there about the Essential Tennis Podcast. It's something I really, I really haven't outwardly promoted uh, at all in several years. Uh, we're working behind the scenes, by the way, to massively update the, the feed to include every episode. As of right now, if you're, uh, if you, you're on uh, iTunes or a podcast app on your phone, you've probably noticed that um, episodes only go down to 157, I think. There's 156 missing episodes from the feed. We're working in the background to get that updated. So every episode, all 265 ex- episodes are available on the feed. So hopefully that'll be updated soon. 
And uh, probably shortly after after that point, and we start updating the website uh, as well with new episodes, um, then I'll probably start kind of doing a little bit more promotional work to try to build up uh, listenership again. Uh, but in the meantime, all of you who are listening, it's been pretty much purely organic, and uh, sharing the word really helps me a lot. So thank you so much for that. Appreciate your time and your attention. Keep up the great work on your game. On your game. I'm really proud of all the focus and uh, dedication that you show every time you're out there. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.